and we're going to continue in our study in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, starting... We're going to pick up verse 22, read through 27. But just to kind of summarize, different people are able to come different weeks. Some were out of town traveling, some were sick. Just so you know, we're in, we are in a series right now that started at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, that goes through Ephesians chapter 6, really to verse 9. That's all one unit. When Paul wrote this, he didn't write in chapters and verses. He wrote it just as a personal letter. So there were no breaks, paragraph breaks, chapter breaks when he originally wrote this. But that was one unit of thought. And it had to do with interpersonal relationships. Mostly, he's talking about interpersonal relationships within the family. How married couples relate to one another and how uh, parents relate to their children. How children should relate to one another and also to their parents. Um very specifically with regard to their roles. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about Christian families and how to be a fulfilled Christian family, the way you live your life from day to day after the pattern of Jesus Christ. This is a very practical part of Scripture. It's very important because this is pretty much where we all live. This is the trenches of life, isn't it? In the context of family living. And I have found, having grown up in a family, a large family of ten children, I was the youngest of ten children, and I have the bruises and scars to prove it. Um, Mom and dad grew up in a large family and also having my own family with four children, family of six. Family life is, is a struggle. It's hard. It's not easy work. It's tiring, among other things. But living in a family can be very fulfilling if we do it God's way because God was the one that created the family. He created the family. He designed it. And he, He's not just leaving us hanging out there on a limb on our own. He wants us to live within a family with fulfillment, with peace, with joy. And he's told us exactly how to pull that off. And that's Ephesians chapter 5, 22 and following. That's what 1 Corinthians 7 says, by the way. It talks about family life and how family life can get kind of hectic, especially when you have an unbeliever and a believing spouse trying to live together. And then in the summary of the argument there, Paul just says from God, God wants us to live in peace. He has called us to peace. That's His design. And it's not just an ideal. Peaceful, joyful living in the home can be a reality. It can be yours. It can be for the believer. And that's if we follow God's plan. So let's go ahead and look at God's plan for living in the home. And it starts with those in the family home, particularly those with children. It starts with those who are married. That's where it starts, with husbands and wives. So actually, if you haven't been able to hear all of the sermons in this series. I just encourage you to do that. We have the sermon on the web and hopefully soon in the future we're going to have it on CD available for those that would like it because there's a context here. Everything, it all goes together. Chapter 5, 22 and following. Um, so you need to hear it in its context. Everyone is addressed. We talked about, we introduced family living, then we talked about the wife's responsibility. We introduced the husband's responsibility last week, part one. We're spending three weeks on the responsibility of the husband as opposed to one week with the wife. And that has to do with the information in the text. God gave more information for the husband to be accountable for and knowledgeable of within the family. So that's why we're dividing it up into three weeks. So next week we'll look at the last responsibility of husbands in the home. Uh, Today we're looking at what I've summarized it. I'm calling it husband, sanctify your wife. Last week, the command was husband, love your wife. As Christ loved the church today, it's husband, sanctify your wife. We're going to talk about what that means. But to set the context, follow me as I read Ephesians 5, 22 to 27. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, in order that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, in order that he might represent to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So now we're talking, we're zeroing in on the responsibility of husbands, starting at verse 25 down through 33, uh, continuing today, concluding next week. The first command was husbands, you need to, prim, priority number one for a husband is that they need to love their wife. And they need to do it as Christ loved the church. We talked about that last week. Uh, right now, and I talked about that uh, love was multifaceted. We love in many different ways, and we enumerated those in the last sermon. But today I want to highlight one way that Christ loved the church and He continues to love the church and husbands are to emulate that kind of love for their wives. If you're a Christian husband, this is for you. This is for me. This command. How do I love my wife? I know God as a Christian husband, priority number one for me is to love my wife. How do I do that? Well, according to verses 26 and 27, an answer to that is you need to love your wife with a sanctifying love. And that's what I want to talk about today. Husband, Christian husband, you need to love your wife with a sanctifying love. Because that's what he says in verse 26 and 27. Uh, let me read the summary there. In Ephesians 5:25 through 33, Paul commands husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. In 5:26 and 27, Paul reminds the husband that one key responsibility of true love expressed towards his wife is by ensuring, safeguarding, and furthering her sanctification. Husbands are to be proactive, consistent, systematic, and deliberate in helping their wives grow spiritually in holiness. In other words, the man or the husband is to be the spiritual leader of the home. First thing I need to say up front is Paul is talking to the Ephesians. He's assuming that they are Christians. He's dealing with... He's just taking that at face value. He is talking to Christian husbands. So we're just going to assume that as we go through and read the text and follow his reasoning and argument from God. We are talking about Christian husbands. So if you are a Christian husband, this message is for you, first and foremost, and for me. So let's look at it. I, there is a lot that we could say, um, but I came up, I tried to summarize it as best I could. came up with seven things I want to come away with and highlight. I do want to spend more time on a couple of these points as opposed to some of the other ones. So let's go ahead and look at it. Seven things that I'd like to, us to keep in mind regarding what does it mean for a Christian husband to sanctify his wife? Well, first, the definition of sanctify, that word that is used in verse uh, 26. What is sanctify? Um, the process, according to the Greek New Testament, the process of making holy in a practical way. It's a process. To sanctify something is for it. It takes time. It's gradual. It's incremental. It's little by little. It's a growing process of making something holy. So the process of making something holy in a practical way. It's growing in holiness is another way to say it. To become sanctified. Becoming more Christ-like over time in our attitudes, our actions, and our words. It also involves refraining from sin and worldliness. So that's the negative aspect. So there's a positive part of sanctification and also a negative part. Pursuing holiness, guarding against sin and worldliness. 
Another way to say it is living in a set-apart and distinct manner. Sanctify comes from the word holy. The word holy means to be set apart. Set apart in a special way by a holy God for a holy purpose. And according to verse 27, the, one of the goals of a husband is he is to sanctify his wife. In other words, it's, he's supposed to help his wife grow in her sanctification. The Christian husband is supposed to help his wife grow in holiness and Christian maturity. That's all it means. So that's just a good basic reminder, isn't it? Christian husband. And for me, what is one of my main goals in life as a husband? It is to help my wife grow in her spiritual Christian maturity. In holiness, and becoming blameless and more pleasing to Christ. And the onus of responsibility and ensuring that your Christian wife is headed in that direction of holiness falls square on the shoulders of the Christian husband to a large degree in a very practical manner. And that's what Paul says. Now, in terms of how we do that and why we do that, let's go ahead and look on to number two. Uh, implications from this verse. Is, number two is husbands are to be the spiritual leaders in the home. That is the cl clear implication and command of this passage. The husband, the Christian husband, is designed by God to be the spiritual leader in the home. The spiritual leader of his wife. Just a couple of verses to highlight there. Why? Ephesians 5.23, we already saw, saw this. Because the husband is the head of the wife and God made it so. He's the head of the wife. That means he's the leader of the home. And we already talked about that. 1 Corinthians 7.3, Paul re reiterates the same thing, talking about Christian marriage. And he says the man is the head of a woman in the same way that the father is the head of Christ. Remember, it's a functional thing. It has to do with your role, okay? Not inherent worth, not inherent value, but the role that God has given you while you're here on earth. Christian husband, you're the leader of your wife, the spiritual leader. You're supposed to be anyway. And then there's just this explicit command uh, where he says you need to sanctify your wife the same way Christ sanctifies, present tense, the church, Ephesians 5.26. Christian husband, are you sanctifying your wife? Because you need to be, I need to be, helping her grow in holiness. 1 Timothy 3, 4 talks about godly men in the church and their qualifications. And one of their qualifications is that the godly man must be one who manages his, his own household well. So he is the leader of his home. And he's the spiritual leader of his home, including his wife and his children. When we get to chapter 6, we're going to talk about how the dad, primarily, is the spiritual leader of the children in the home. So the husbands are the spiritual leaders in the home. That is a command from God and an expectation. Number three, husbands are wife, husbands and wives are a team. So here's the beautiful balance from God. The husband is the spiritual leader, but at the same time, husband and wife are a team. And we've talked about that as well, just by way of summary. 1 Peter 3, 7, as Paul is talking to husbands about their responsibility of being spiritual leaders of their wives, in that same context, he reminds them, Grant your wife honor, respect her. Why? As a fellow heir in Christ Jesus. Husband, your wife, your Christian wife, she is your, she should be your best friend. She is your peer. And not only that, she is a joint heir in Christ. Before Christ, before God. Spiritually speaking, you are equal. And you're supposed to function as a team, as believers. Uh, Ephesians 5.31 in this context, in Ephesians, uh, Paul quotes from Genesis chapter 2 where God performed the first marriage with Adam and Eve. And when God performed the first wedding, he proclaimed that the two shall become one. And that's what happens when a man and a woman get married before the eyes of God is a man and a woman 
become one. And they become one in every conceivable manner. Think about it. And that's by God's design. When a man and woman get married, they are to become one emotionally. When your wife feels pain, you should feel pain. When she feels joy, you should feel joy. And vice versa in the marriage relationship. So husband and wife are one emotionally. You are one socially. Literally. You move in together. You share the same room together. You share the same bed together according to Hebrews 13. And it is holy and blessed by God. So when you get married, you become one emotionally, socially. You become one legally. That's even even the secular government recognizes that, that husband and wife, when they get married, you become one as a legal entity, even for tax purposes. There's benefits to it sometimes. Economically, you become one. Also for tax purposes, according to the state and also the federal government, and even scripturally. So we become one emotionally, socially, legally, economically. Uh, we also become one physically, and by that I mean in terms of physical intimacy. And that's what uh, the author was emphasizing in Genesis chapter 2 when he said uh, Adam and Eve became one and they were naked and were not ashamed. And the implication there is the two become one physically in terms of physical intimacy with one another between husband and wife that is pure before the eyes of God and you are one with one another in one of the most intimate, private ways before God. Not only are we one physically, you're also one literally husband and wife biologically. That's actually one of the most tangible ways a husband and wife can become one. And that's when a husband and a wife actually produce offspring between the two of them and you have these little things called children. And they're like 100% you and 100% your spouse. Uh, if you're not adopting, or but if you have children that way, biologically, literally, you fulfill this by becoming one through your children. And you can see that in the way that they act and their attitudes and their personalities and their strengths and their weaknesses and you blame all their weaknesses on your spouse and you take the credit for all of their strengths. And then finally, God's intent was that husband and wife were supposed to become one spiritually. You both know the Lord or you're supposed to. Or that's God's ideal. It's not true for everybody, but that's God's ideal. And you become one spiritually. And that's what we're talking about today. Husband and wife are a team and they're supposed to function as a team spiritually before God in every venue, asset of life or area of life. Um, so let's go ahead and... Oh, yeah, a couple of verses uh, in addition there. Uh, in light of this truth, husbands and wives are a team. Galatians 3.28. Even though they've got these distinct roles, husband, you're the quarterback, wife, you're the center and the running back and the wide receiver and the left tackle and the defensive back. That's the way it is. We're talking about roles here. But at the same time, we've got equal status before God in terms of being created in His image. And that's why Galatians 3.28 says, male and female are all one in Christ Jesus, spiritually speaking, is what it's talking about. Your inherent value before God. So there's that beautiful balance again. Um, one example, if you ever have time to read in the book of Acts, chapter 18 and 19, was this wonderful Christian couple named uh, Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, a Christian couple that helped in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, described in Acts 18. And they're always together, the two of them. Their names are always together. Aquila, Priscilla the first time, and then Priscilla, Aquila, Priscilla, and Aquila. They went everywhere together. They served together. They were married. They helped Paul together. They planted church together. They did ministry together. They were partners. They evangelized together. They were a spiritual team. That's God's design if you're Christians, husband and wife. You're supposed to be a spiritual team, united, serving in tangent, in unison together before God. Priscilla and Quilla did it, and they're a wonderful model for us. Uh, and then in Romans 16.3, notice the Apostle Paul, uh, who was blessed by this team, husband and wife team, and he says, 
uh, greet Priscilla or Prisca and Aquila. My, notice he calls them my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. My fellow workers, spiritually one with me, part of the spiritual team of the Apostle Paul. So keep that balance in mind. Husband, you are the spiritual leader. And the ideal is that you're also a team member with your wife. Number four, the wife has a need for the husband's spiritual leadership, according to God and according to the Bible. I'm just going to warn you, some of these verses that I'm in, I don't even have to interpret some of these verses to cause an uproar in our world today. I could just read them and they will be offensive. But we believe God's word is true. And it's still true today, even though it was written 2,000 plus years ago. But regarding this truth, why is it that God has required the husband to be the spiritual leader in the home? Here are two practical reasons why. Because the wife has a need. First reason, letter A. The wife needs the husband's spiritual leadership because she was created to be the follower. This is before sin, before fall. This isn't a quirk. This isn't a problem. This is by God's design. A mature, spirit-filled, godly, Christian wife should desire to be a follower of her husband. That should be the desire. She should find total fulfillment in being a follower of her hopefully godly, mature, spirit-filled, servant husband is the ideal. And that's what Scripture sets up as the ideal. Some of the godliest women I know who have been models for my wife and I over the years, either at other churches or even well-known Christian uh, married couples, uh, we've had opportunities to see some of these godly couples and see some of these incredibly godly women and even get to meet some of them and even get to know some of them and even get to peek on the inside of the dynamics of their family living and they fulfill what the Bible says it is possible for a godly woman to find total fulfillment joy, contentment, and even a desire to be the follower of her godly husband. Now, you can imagine what modern-day secular society might say to that, like the National Organization of Feminist Women that we have here in America, where they loathe and disdain and condemn the idea of a woman being a follower of her man or of her husband. They think that is archaic, it is wrong, it is detrimental. It is even evil, they would say, and immoral. They're trying to undo that. That's what the Bible says. That's God's ideal. It's a good thing, not a bad thing. But the woman, the wife, was created by God intentionally to be a follower of her husband. Genesis 2.18, when he created the first man and woman, and when he created the first marriage. It's right there. Just a summary, Genesis 2.18 and 23. God said, I will make him a suitable helper, literally is what it says. The perfect complement. The design of a wife, she's going to be a complement to her husband. She's going to fulfill her husband. And the words there are graphic in terms of she's going to be the follower of her husband who will be the head and the leader. That's by God's design. She will be a follower. Kind of like uh, the husband is to be the leader and he's taken his family on a steep hike up in the wilderness, up this high mountain, and they're together as a team. They're together as a family. The wife is one step behind, but the husband is the leader. He's setting the pace. He's paving the way. He's getting rid of the branches. He's stepping on the rattlesnakes. He's testing the berries to see if they're poisonous. He's clearing the way gladly. The wife is pleased. She's secure in the leadership of her husband as she follows him up the path, trusting him along the way. That's the ideal. That's the picture by God's design. He goes on, I will make a suitable, suitable helper for him. She shall be called a woman because she was taken literally out of man. That's a true story. 
God created the first man out of dirt and then he created the first woman out of that man. She came from man. She is out of man. She's the follower of man. She's the complement to man. That's what it means. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about this. For man, the husband, does not originate from the woman. Adam didn't come from Eve's rib. It was the other way around is what he's talking about. And he's talking about the marriage relationship and the way they should function together. But woman came from man. Eve came from Adam's rib. For indeed, man or Adam was not created for the man's sake, but woman was created for the man's sake to complement him. It was not good for the man to be alone. That's what he's talking about. To perfectly fulfill him. So they could become one. Therefore, here's the spiritual implication, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head when she is praying and in worship. Talking about the corporate public context. So it has to do with worship, spiritual issues, religious issues. And Paul is saying that the woman is to be a follower of her husband. That's the argument in 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Timothy 2. Again, he's talking about the context of religion, spirituality, worship, the church, the home, and the way husbands and wives relate to one another in their functional roles. Man is the head. Wife is the follower. That's the context. 1 Timothy 2, 8 and then 11 through 13. Paul is an authority from Jesus Christ as an apostle, commands and says, I want the men. Andros is the Greek word and it refers to the males as opposed to anthropos, which could mean anybody. Anthropology, humanity in general, men or women, doesn't matter. This is Andros, a very specific word. I want the men, I want the males, the grown-up males who are Christian in your church and in every place to pray and lifting up holy hands. The men are to lead the spiritual worship in the church and in the home. They're to be the spiritual leaders. That's God's model. It's very clear from the New Testament. And that's what he's talking about here. Lifting up holy hands. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. This is talking about in the context of the church when the teaching and the preaching is going on. But I do not, as an apostle, I do not allow, because God told me so through the Holy Spirit, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. That's talking about the preaching ministry and the office of pastor in the church is what it's talking about. It's very specific, the context of what Paul is talking about there. And his point is, is that males, qualified, called males, lead spiritual leadership in the local church and in the home, if they're married. I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise preaching authority or teaching authority over a man, but to remain quiet for it was... Ad and here's his reason. It wasn't a cultural thing. It wasn't uh, that Paul hated women and that he wasn't married because he couldn't get a date, and so he had a grudge against women his whole life, and so he had these... That's what people say, literally. Well, this is just cultural. Paul, he kind of didn't like women because he wasn't married after all. No, it's not cultural. It, the truth is that Paul lays down, it transcends all of time. Look at it. The reason for it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. It's in the created order. This is the way God designed it from day one, even before sin entered the world. This is a good thing, not a bad thing. It's a healthy thing. 1 Corinthians 14, same context, 34 and 35. The Apostle Paul says, let, and he's talking about in the church, preaching and teaching ministry, let the women keep silent in the churches. You shouldn't have women as your preachers, teachers, and pastors, is what he's saying. And that's been the expectation of the church for 2,000 years until we got to the 21st century. Let the women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. Again, this is the preaching ministry. But let them subject themselves, just as the law also says, and if they desire to learn anything, let them... Notice who they ask. If a woman wants to grow in her spiritual relationship, where's the first place she should go if she's married? If they desire to learn anything, uh, let them... And this is just talking about 
spiritually the things that were preached and taught in the relationship with Christ and God, if they desire to learn in that area, let them ask their own husbands at home. That's option number one. For it is improper for a woman to speak or preach in an authoritative way in the church. That's the Apostle Paul. So that's uh, the first reason to show the need for the wife's spiritual leadership to be exercised by her husband. What's the second reason? Well, that one came... Uh, letter B, I said, because she is the weaker vessel. The wife needs her husband's spiritual leadership because she is the weaker vessel. Okay, before you throw tomatoes at me for saying that, that the wife, the woman, is a weaker vessel, I'm just quoting from Scripture. And let's look at Scripture. This truth that the wife is the weaker vessel. 1 Peter 3, 7. The Apostle Peter, trained by Jesus Himself for three and a half years, commissioned by Jesus Himself to help build the church, to lead the apostles, to write some of the New Testament. Peter said, the apostle said, not McManus said, I didn't make this up. Peter said, you husbands likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way. Understand your wife, husband. That's the first thing. That's impossible, by the way. That is a mystery. That's why... Well, anyway, that's a different topic. Uh, Live with your wife in an understanding way. You know the Greek word there is very interesting. It means study your wife, exegete your wife, look at her from all angles, all that. Stay on your toes. It'll take you a lifetime. No, it'll take you more than a lifetime. That's what he's saying. Live with your wife in an understanding way, in a knowledgeable way, with proper knowledge. As with one of the key things you need to understand about your wife is you try to figure her out, husbands, as a weaker vessel. That's, that's one of the keys to unlocking you trying to figure out and understand your wife. There's the mystery. She is a weaker vessel. Now, if you're struggling with this term weaker and you're thinking inferiority and valueless, then use a better English word, which would probably be a more accurate translation. Put the word fragile in there instead of weaker. Okay? Maybe that will help you understand the Greek text better. You husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way as with a fragile vessel. And Peter literally is talking about pottery in terms of the words that he's choosing when he said weaker vessel. He's talking about pottery. Now, when you have a more fragile piece of pottery, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is worthless or inferior, does it? Because some of the most expensive, valuable pottery and dishes are very, very expensive and the most valuable things in the house, aren't they? Like uh, your grandma's china and crystal that they bought over in Ireland that you're not allowed to touch, I'd say that's very fragile and it can be very weak and can be broken very easily, right? And then you got the husband, he's like corningware, right? You buy it Safeway for $4.99 for 10 plates. You can put it in the microwave. You can put it in the... Di- the kids can play with it out in the backyard. It won't scratch, break or anything. Anyway, fragile, precious, yet still fragile, implies that inherent truth, there is an inherent weakness there of some sort that the husband is supposed to be attentive to, guard, protect that fragile nature. I remember my brother, I've got, like I said, I've got uh, nine older brothers and sisters, five older brothers. I will never forget, I don't know why this image I'll never forget, but when my older brother, Jack, was about five or six years old, he got a new pair of swimming trunks from my parents and on the back it just said, fragile, on the back of the swimming trunks. And everybody thought that was so funny and I was three years old, I didn't understand what that meant. But anyway, now I understand. Fragile. Husbands, live with your wives because she is more fragile. Uh, also, 1 Timothy 2, 12-14, the Apostle Paul says, Do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. 
She needs to understand her proper role or function in the church and also spiritually in the home. The husband is to be the leader. Why? For it was Adam who was deceived. Now, this happened after the fall. Here's a reason that came after the fall. This is not in creation, but after the fall. Because it was not Adam who was deceived by the snake, but the woman being quite deceived. Did you know that Adam was not deceived by the serpent? He was not. Eve was the one that was deceived. We don't know exactly where Adam was standing when everything happened, but uh, Eve was the one who was snookered. She fell prey to deception. Uh, and the possibility here, according to Paul, is that maybe that's why the snake didn't approach Adam first because he knew maybe that he wouldn't be deceived. But he knew that the wife could be deceived. We don't know, but he's making an argument from God here. Adam was not the one who deceived, but Eve was, and she fell into transgression. And therefore, Paul says, you need to protect your wife. Protect her from deception. Protect her from being taken advantage of. Jesus talked about that in the Gospels. Referring to, and also the Apostle Paul did. How hucksters, heretics, charlatans, manipulative, influential people will prey in on widows to steal their inheritance, their money, their property, because they're weak, they're vulnerable. And the reason they're weak and vulnerable in the case of widows many times is because they're emotionally weak at that time, grieving, right? And looking for comfort, looking for support. So we need to protect them and guard them. Husbands need to do the same thing. You need to protect your precious, fragile wife, spiritually speaking. It's a command. Number five. Uh, husbands are to lead spiritually with the Word. Okay, uh, the main point is we need to sanctify our wives. Well, how do we do that? Well, according to Ephesians 5, we sanctify the wife in verse 26. At the end, it says, having cleansed her, having washed her. See, that's another word for sanctifying is cleansing, washing over and over again. Like Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Cleansing from sin, purifying, making holy. How do we do it? Cleansing her by the washing of water with the Word. There it is, the Word, the Word of God, spiritual truth. That's what we use. Husbands are to be using and arming themselves with the truth of the Word of God to help their wives grow in spiritual maturity. So it is the onus of the husband is to know the Bible, to be believing the Bible, to be committed to the Bible, to be able to understand, read, and apply the Bible in a practical manner so that he can help his wife grow in the Word. That is your responsibility, husband. You're supposed to be taking the lead with the ministry of the Word in your marriage and in your home and even in the local church. And some of you might protest or raise your hand and say, well, whoa, wait a minute. There's a lot of churches with a lot of uh, wives who have husbands who aren't believers or who have husbands who are spiritually disobedient, negligent, ignorant, immature, or missing in action. Then what is the wife supposed to do? That's a whole other sermon. I'm sorry to say I'm just staying with what the command is here, what the ideal is here. And it is the husband supposed to be taking the lead, ministering to his wife with the Word of God. That's his tool. And also it's the Word of God that is the model of how we are supposed to help sanctify our wife. And so I just thought of some things, just basic things in my mind, just fundamentals. Fundamental priorities that we as husbands need to keep in mind and put into practice in a regular, ongoing way with your spouse, with your wife to help her grow. Okay? And I'm just going to throw them out there for you to think about. And also to remind me, I had to think about them this week again. Meditate on them. Implement them. Asking God's strength to help me to continue to implement these to help my wife grow. They're basic. And, these are, and they're the same diagnostic questions I use when I do marital counseling. And I do do my share of marital counseling. And I'm doing my share of marital counseling as I speak. 
and have been doing it for a few years, marriage counseling. And anytime, particularly a Christian couple comes in to meet me for marriage counseling, I have this, we always start with diagnostic questions, real basic. How long have you been married? How long are you both Christians? How long have you been believers? What's the problem? Okay. And then I start pressing them with the pointed diagnostic questions related to this very issue about the Word of God and the ministry of the Word of God in their marriage and in their lives. And I'll ask them, husband, what is your main responsibility as a husband in your home and towards your wife? And hopefully he'll say, I am to love my wife. Okay, well, what does that look like? What's one of the main responsibilities and ways that you are to love your wife? And hopefully uh, he'll say, I need to sanctify my wife. I need to help her grow spiritually. I am the, you know what that means? Husband, to sanctify your wife, it means you are the high priest of the home is what it means. If you're a Christian husband, you are the high priest of your wife, the high priest of your home. And if they don't know that answer, many times they don't. They don't even know, they don't know the answer and they don't even know what it means even after I tell them the answer. And I tell them, husband, uh, oh, other questions. Husband, when was the last time you prayed with your wife? Not counting praying over a meal. A perfunctory prayer before a meal. Praying before meals is good. I'm not talking about that though. When was the last time you did like Jesus said in Matthew 6 where you closed the door behind you or in your home or as Jesus did many times where He got away with His disciples on a mountain away from the crowds for an hour and, and to ask them, pray with me, He said to His disciples. Remember that? Could you not pray with me for one hour? When was the last time you prayed by yourself with your wife for an extended period of time? I asked that to husband. I am shocked and amazed at the answers I get of these Christian couples who come seek biblical counseling from me. Because usually the answer, they can't think of the last time they prayed together as a couple. And then I'm just very honest. No wonder you have problems. No wonder your marriage is falling apart. No wonder you're at your wit's end. This is basic. This is 101 Christianity. Husband, you're a Christian. God expects you to be the spiritual leader of your home. You're the high priest. You need to start with praying with your wife. And it doesn't have to be every day. If you're not doing it all and you haven't done it for seven years, like I've heard, or ten years, or we've never done that in the 14 years of marriage, then maybe why don't you start today? No, let's. this is what I've done. We're going to start right now. Husband, I want you to hold the hand of your wife. Woo! Does that create... Oh, and, they, and then they do. They hold hands. Okay, husband, just pray for your wife. Just, and we've done that. So that maybe that's a start. And maybe now just do it once a month. And then create a routine. Create a pattern. This pleases God. You know what this is going to do? This is going to soften hearts. You know, they made a billboard. The couples that pray together stay together. You know, I believe that if it's true prayer and it's sincere. So husband... Uh, Ask yourself, how, when was the last time you prayed with your wife? Holding her hand or maybe down on your knees together in your bedroom. Humbling yourself before God. There is nothing like softening a hardened heart when you're down on your knees with your spouse praying to God. And you each pray to God, confessing your sins, asking for His softening. It will revolutionize your marriage. It will revolutionize your friendship. It will rekindle things. You will have potential fulfillment in your marriage you have never Thought was possible. I've seen it happen. Very simple. So pray with your wife. When was the last time that happened? And then just another simple one. Pray for your wife. Pray for your wife. When I first got married, I think I was advised by an older godly man who had been many, married many years, and I put down on a little index card all these diagnostic questions, and I kept it in my briefcase when I was in seminary, and I was supposed to read it every day. 
Uh, did you pray with your wife today? Have you prayed for your wife today? Have you? And all these basic questions. It was a great reminder to me to be in the discipline of doing that. Pray for your wife today. Husband, when was the last time you prayed for your wife? It's got to start there. If you can't remember the last time you prayed for your wife, you need to start today. It needs to start now. Pray for your wife. Pray for her holiness. Pray for her sanctification. Pray for her growth. Pray for the Holy Spirit to work on her heart, to soften her, to help her grow. That she would become the Proverbs 31 woman. That she would hunger and thirst after God's righteousness. That she would grow in her love for the Word of God. That she would grow in her desire to pray to God. Pray these things very specifically. Pray in accordance with Scripture on behalf of your wife. So that she will grow. I guarantee if you do this every day, praying privately to yourself for your wife, every single day, God will answer that prayer. It'll Again, it will soften your heart. It will soften her heart. It will transform your marriage. Boy, this is pretty basic stuff, isn't it? Pray with your wife. Pray for your wife. I mean, that's enough homework right there to transform marriages. Um, so use the Word of God. and So once again, the onus is on the husband to be a man of the Word, right? To not be ashamed, but handily, ha- uh, ac- accurately handling the Word of God. We need men to be spiritual leaders in the church and in the home. So husbands, you are to take the lead spiritually with the Word of God. Oh, also, uh, some other ways that the husband can be the spiritual leader for his wife. Um, read the Bible with your wife. That's, that was uh, because we were poor college kids. That's what we did for dates, Debbie and I. When we were going out, we started reading the Bible together, read through Ephesians or Philippians together, uh, and knit our hearts together, read the Bible with your wife, study the Bible with your wife, maybe read a good book together that you agree upon that's going to be spiritually edifying when you can. Another way, These are just practical things. Listen to tapes and CDs together. I know some of you do that, and you find it very edifying for your marriage. Uh, go to church together. Minister together in the local church or do ministry together. That is very helpful. Get you on the same page together. You are one in every area of life. So there's a lot of ways that you can do that. But just I would just say start with prayer. If it hasn't been a practice, it needs to be in your home. Number six, uh, God will bless a husband's faithful spiritual leadership. Husband, if you understand this and you apply it to your life and you start doing it and you're committed to it, God's going to bless you. He will bless you. He will bless you. He will bless your spiritual walk. He will bless your wife. He will bless your home. If you have children, He'll bless your children. He will bless your business. That's His promise. Obedience brings blessings. It's very simple. Look at Psalm 128, 1-3. I would say that Psalm 128, uh, 1-3 is one of the most definitive, clearest, best examples of a godly family in the entire Bible. And it starts with... And you've got a flourishing spiritual home, but it starts with the leadership of the dad and the husband. Look at Psalm 128, verses 1-3 through three says, How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. Somebody who fears the Lord, loves the Lord. God is a priority in every area of life. That's what it's talking about. What is this man like? Well, this man is married and this man has children. And how does it trickle down to his wife and his children? Well, it says, When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands. He's a hard worker. He's responsible. He's disciplined. Uh, you will be happy, so he'll have fulfillment and joy in life. And it will be well with you. God will bless you. You'll have a good life. You'll have a good home. Specifically regarding your wife, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your wife is going to be blessed as a result of your faithfulness to God and your walk, consistent walk with God. Your wife is going to be a fruitful vine. Notice it's not your wife shall be a cactus, a prickly cactus in your house. There are wives that are like that. That is not God's promise. God's promise, a fruitful vine. She is beautiful. She is productive. She benefits you. 
You like a joy to be around is your wife. Look at even your children if you have children. Your children like olive plants around your table. This is an illustration and a metaphor from the Middle East where uh, the Israelites and Jews lived. They understood this, an olive plant. We don't deal with olive plants. But an olive plant was very precious, precious commodity. It was could be used in many ways. It was very versatile. You could use it for the oil, and the oil you could use for medicinal purposes, for cooking in exchange for money and for clothing. It was valuable. It was prized. That Your children are going to be valuable and precious and a delight to be around. And the shade of your table, your home, literally is a, an arbitrary, a, a sanctuary of grace, of blessing. That's what it's going to be like in your home. Fruitful. Your children won't be rebels that you can't stand, that you don't want around. They'll be a blessing to you. If you're the faithful spiritual leader in your home. That's God's promise. Number seven. And finally, God will hold the husband accountable for their spiritual leadership in the home. God is going to, if you're a Christian and you're a husband, you're going to be accountable. You're accountable in this life and in the next life for being the spiritual leader in your home. Let's look at some of those. Uh, first, I want to go to Galatians 6 life. You're, you're accountable in this life. For acting like a spiritual leader in your home, Galatians 6-7 says, Do not be deceived, Christian husband. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will reap. You reap what you sow. If you're a lousy husband, you're going to get lousy fruits and a lousy byproduct. If you're a faithful, godly husband, you will reap God's reward. You will be blessed. We saw some of those blessings. This is just a spiritual law that cannot be violated. You reap what you sow. Obey God, you will reap blessings. That's in this life. What about in the next life? 2 Corinthians 5.10 We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, the reward throne of Christ is what it's talking about, where Christians will appear in the life to come. That each Christian or believer may be recompensed or paid back, given rewards, literally, for deeds done in the body, deeds you did as a Christian in this life, according to what we have done, whether good or or worthless. This is the award ceremony where Christ will reward every believer according to what they have done, either in obedience or disobedience in this life. And one of the main things that, that Christ, no doubt, is going to ask the Christian husband or tell him and examine his life that he has to give an accounting for is you were married for 50 years and your greatest earthly priority was your wife. How did you do? And we'll receive reward or a lack of reward from Jesus Christ Himself. No doubt one question that's maybe been in the back of your mind throughout this entire thing is that nagging question, because we all know them, is the, wife, the Christian wife who has a husband who is not a believer. And that would be 1 Corinthians 7 and 1 Peter 3, so we'll look at that another day. Or maybe the Christian wife that kind of has the disobedient, inconsistent, passive, hit-and-miss Christian husband. What about him? Well, it doesn't change anything. Priorities are still the same. He is still, if he is a Christian, he is the spiritual leader in your home and in your marriage. And maybe one of the things that needs to happen is the Christian wife who's been shouldering all the responsibility and taking all the spiritual initiative and even volunteering herself saying, well, I'm the spiritual leader in our home. Oh, really? Is your husband a Christian? Yes. Oh, then you're not the spiritual leader in your home. So that's the first thing that needs to be corrected. He is the spiritual leader in your home. He is the high priest. Maybe he's missing in action or on vacation or not around, but you are not the high priest. So that's point number one where it needs to change. 
And that comes, and that's that beautiful balance that needs to happen. That's kind of a quick catch-22. The, the husbands need to lead. The wives need to submit. And that works best when they're both doing it obediently. If the husband isn't leading and the wife is trying to go, boom, you run into each other, don't you? And you have conflict. So, point number one, if you have a dysfunctional home or a dysfunctional marriage and you're Christians, point number one is you've got to get back to the basics. What are our roles? What are God's basic expectations? And then ask for God's help and start setting the pace in the right direction. And eventually you get the kinks worked out and God will begin blessing. But first of all, the wife needs to realize and acknowledge before God, I am not the spiritual leader. My Christian husband is. And then the Christian wife can start praying for the Christian husband that he will take initiative, that he will grow. And a lot of times, maybe the Christian husband needs to grow in his understanding of his role. Maybe he hasn't been a Christian as long. Doesn't have the Christian background. So maybe there's some ignorance there. So he needs to be taught. He needs to be uh, learned. He needs to grow. He needs to be encouraged. He needs examples. He needs models to follow. He needs the support of his wife, not the nagging of his wife, the support and submission of his wife, the affirmation of his wife, the respect from his wife. And also, maybe occasionally, the reproof from his wife. Did you know? Or I'll just I'll close with this. Is it ever appropriate, even though that the man is the leader and the head of the home, is it ever appropriate, okay or right, for a wife to confront her husband and rebuke him of sin? You don't need to answer out loud. There are actually Christian husbands who would say, no, that is never appropriate for my, Christ- for my wife to rebuke me, challenge me of my sin. Because they have a wrong understanding, an unbalanced understanding of what it means to be the leader of your home. But I'll just remind you, that every one of the one and others in the New Testament applies to all believers, mutually and reciprocally. And in the one that Jesus said in Luke 17:3, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And because the Bible said over and over, we saw it, husband and wife are also equal and peers spiritually before God. So if a Christian husband is in sin, the wife has every right to rebuke her husband and call him to repentance. That's one of the beauties and blessings of marriage. We refine one another. We're supposed to be. And you can do that in a way that doesn't violate the leadership structure that God has put in place. So maybe that may arise at a time or may need to happen in your marriage or somebody else's marriage. So anyway, so I know it's quite a challenge. Um, So let's think about these things. Keep these things in prayer. Pray for your own family members. Pray for our families in GBF that we can learn to follow God's basic blueprint of family living. And I guarantee God is just going to give a flood of blessing in response. Let's go ahead and pray to Him and commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank You for this Lord's Day. Thank You for every person that You brought through our doors today. We thank You for our visitors and for other guests. Thank You for the opportunity to worship You in different ways through song, through prayer. God, thank You that You speak to us literally, as You've said, through the Bible. The Word of God. It's the way You have chosen to speak to Your people today. Through Scripture. Basic biblical truth. God, thank You for this series in Ephesians to be reminded of just our basic responsibilities in the home. Daily living, which is so hard that we cannot do in our strength. And God, I thank you that you give us the answer of how we can have fulfilled marriages, how we can have fulfilled family living. 
Remind us of these great truths. Challenge our thinking where we are struggling or have questions, God. Help us grapple with those through the Holy Spirit, ultimately, who is the greatest teacher of all, so that we can understand what your expectations are. God, I pray for the marriages in GBF, for those that are married, that um, they would grow in holiness, that we as husbands would understand more and more what it means to be a loving servant of our wives committed to sanctifying her in the Word. And God, that you would help wives be submissive and supportive and respecting of their husbands following his lead. And that we'd be a perfect team before you and that the children would be blessed as the byproduct and everybody else around us. We can't do it in our own strength, God, so we need your Holy Spirit. So that's what we ask. And we thank you that it's it's possible because of a relationship personally with Jesus Christ, the living living Lord, and we commit it all in his name. Amen.